0: Well, at this point, uh, you just met uh, Kyle Hanawalt, my co-pastor, uh, of course, who's going to be joining us for our discussion today. Hi, Kyle. Hello. And uh, we will turn to our discussion. Uh, we're in the middle of this series of discussions, if you've been with us, called God of the Oppressed. That's a phrase we've borrowed from the late James Cone, who was a writer on Black liberation theology. Uh, we're immersing ourselves one at a time in different oppressed people group perspectives, on Jesus, and on faith, and on God. Uh, This is because in America, what colors most of our understandings of Jesus and God, whether you like went to church as a kid, or you just like picked it up through pop culture, like what is God about? What is Jesus about? What colors most of our perspective, if you grow up in America, is a European, American, straight, white, male, dominant culture picture of of God. Uh, But that has serious limitations, um, because in terms of its ability to help us deal with like, Suffering and the challenges of life that power and money and status can't fix. Well, that you know, a perspective like that is, has some real limits to it. And in terms of the fact that we're not really talking about Jesus, if we're talking about power, like Jesus was an oppressed person, that's the vehicle God chose to show us what God is like is coming to us in an oppressed person. So, if we want to be able to Uh, fight injustice. If we want to be able to experience hope and resilience and joy in spite of injustice, we need a faith in a God that are acquainted with oppression, that are acquainted with suffering, that are acquainted with challenges, Uh, a faith in a God that are just about power won't offer us much. Uh, So that's what this series is about. We hope that it helps us to centralize perspectives on God that know oppression, that know what it's like to suffer, that are a little bit more close to the experience of Jesus than the powerful voices that we usually hear. Okay, so today uh, our specific discussion is Seeing God as a Second-Generation Immigrant, and we are honored to be joined again by Brownline's own Linda Kim. Uh, Linda is uh, somebody who's been helping us uh, kind of engage equity conversations. Uh, she's somebody who's been uh, vulnerable with her own story uh, for us as a church. And so we're, we're so glad that she's with us today. Linda, uh, just to swing it to you, the, the reality of oppression that you can help our community see is being a second generation immigrant uh, or the child of a Korean uh, of ch- Korean immigrants. Uh, And then also uh, there's a phrase that we were using in our preparation uh, that's a third culture kid. And that, what that means if you've not heard that before is somebody who grew up in an environment where the the culture of their environment and the culture of their family were two different cultures and the identity that they ended up developing culturally is sort of the third thing in between those two cultures, sort of the overlap of that. And so uh, tell us a little bit more about like the the reality of of oppression um, that we're gonna be digging into as somebody who's a second-generation immigrant.
1: Sure. Hey, y'all. I'm glad to be with you guys here today. Um, So yeah, just to give you just a little cultural context. um, So yes, as far as my identity goes, I'm second-generation to immigrants. Uh, I'm South Korean, and uh, my parents were, were actually on one of the waves to immigrate to the states when Asians were allowed to enter so we're talking like mid-60s and so they're quite like the pioneers of that of that Um, and so you know third culture kid Vince and I talked about this and and you very aptly put it so for me a lot of my my um my growing of age and and all of those things that go into that isn't really my parents in that right? It's not their specific Korean ethnic heritage or their upbringing. It's not wholly American of my nationality. It's that I am Korean American. And that has produced some very interesting things as far as like the, the fusion of that, the tension, the marriage of the two, if you will. So today I will be talking about that and the impact of that on my face.
0: Thank you, Linda. yeah, and uh, as we have uh, as we we are uh, digging into for each of these conversations, you know that's a a space to come from um, that is outside the quote, unquote, American norm. And so what you end up being is, is sort of subtly, um, sometimes explicitly, but very often implicitly looked down upon or shoved aside or made secondary um, when that's your story. And so uh, so we think that Linda, uh, like the others that we've been um, sort of engaging and, and and looking for their voice can give us another really, really helpful insight of like what is God like? Because your experience is much more similar to the experience of Jesus than uh, somebody like me. Uh, so uh, as we get into uh, what uh, some of the, the insights that, uh, that we've uh, prepped with Linda, uh, we want to remind you that our chat is open and Abby's monitoring that chat. So if you want to um, throw in a question or throw in a comment, uh, something that connects with you as we go along, please use that. We would love uh, to engage that way. Uh, so uh, let me share um, uh, my screen here. So we are looking at uh, the same points together that we brought. Um, and uh, the first perspective uh, that we're going to talk about today uh, is that when you are a third culture kid, you see God can be found anywhere with anyone. So Linda, tell us more about
1: this. Sure. So to really understand this uh, insight that I have, um, I want to contact really what folks like my parents so historically churches have provided many immigrants with ways of forming communities and developing a sense of belonging in what was a strange land um, providing a place to gather share language food celebrate and pass on cultural customs and beliefs this was certainly the case for my parents who flocked to Korean churches for that sense of community while that was so necessary for that sense of belonging and to help preserve our culture um, it could be very restrictive to folks who often felt the pressure to assimilate into that specific church culture so i would characterize many korean churches often embody this ethos of conservative korean culture whose values are often very diametrically opposed to western ones fused with white evangelical fundamental faith values, uh, which were impressed upon by white missionaries in what was a historical colonized Korea, Korea. So all of that is to say that today, most Korean churches still tend to be very conservative and can be quite prescriptive in the values they try to teach. Faith can become static And it sometimes becomes more important to be like, you know, the good churchgoer or a model Korean rather than someone who nurtures and feels nurtured to grow their own faith and experience the freedom that I believe God intends for us. So I grew up in a Korean church and attended more of them sporadically. Um, I always found them to be way too conservative and I really couldn't connect with others or experience God in any of them. So I stopped going to church in my teen and young adult years. Fast forward many years later, um, I started to invite more conversation and exploration on faith into my life with a couple of really close people whom I trusted. And then I began to see really how God had been changing their lives. That was the first real witness for me to the beginning of my faith and, um, This led to a period of very informal, impromptu gatherings to discuss faith over copious amounts of wine and laughter and all the things. And um, this was such an important time in my life for real faith to germinate and to begin walk with God, which led to many questions being asked and many doors being opened to me. And then I realized that God is in culture and beyond it. He transcends it. And so for me, that led me to really realize that he can be found anywhere with anyone. Really appreciate
2: that. I think that there's um, uh, a lived experience, I think with you of standing in between two different cultural experiences uh, that, kind of speaks to the reality, I think, that we're all wrestling with. The the sense of like, who we are and where we come from actually requires different things. And so being a first generation immigrant, like your parents, having something and and these kind of very uh, uh, homogenous, Uh, Immigrant churches are serve a really important purpose of maintaining culture in a place that is not uh, honoring or seeing that culture, so that's not lost. Um, Whereas when you become a second generation, there's a sense of like uh, you're still trying to honor that, but there's a different need that you have than your parents have, and I think it's the same thing of why I think that that is a is a holy meaningful experience for a lot of immigrant churches but is actually such uh, a broken experience if uh, it's a dominant culture church like uh, an all-white church because there's a sense of like what's being needed there is actually we're not just trying to preserve culture if we're walking in the way of jesus we're trying to challenge ourselves Mm -hmm. and so you can actually see god showing up in this all korean church you can see god showing up in these diverse settings and i think Uh, what's important for us to see here is not necessarily that like, uh, God is only powerful in some places, but he's actually living dynamically in all the experiences of life we have. And we need to ask ourselves where we are positioned in terms of power and status quo to, to fully see a picture of where he is at, whether we're engaging deeply with the part of ourself that maybe society is ignoring, or if society is uplifting us, making sure we're engaging with other indifference from ourselves to get a full picture of who Jesus is. I just think it's a really helpful framework for me to think about it. So I appreciate it.
0: I was going to say, Linda, uh, similar to what Kyle was just mentioning, like a, a mono ethnic church or like faith community that was entirely white um, or entirely like of a dominant or powerful culture um, would tend not, I think, to end up with learning this thing that you're telling us about, about being able to find God anywhere with anyone. But it's interesting that somebody who is coming from a marginalized experience and grows up in a mono-ethnic experience, it's not a mono-ethnic powerful culture, but it's a mono-ethnic minority or uh, less powerful culture, that actually leads you to discover like God can be found anywhere with anyone. And and that, I, I think that that's a, that's a really important lesson um, for us when we think about, um, we, we've talked about like, how, how do we know God is speaking to us uh, a lot lately? and uh, and And what are the litmus tests that we use to discover that? And one of the things we've talked about is, Jesus's refrain of like ex- exalting the humbled and humbling the exalted. And I think of that when I think of this. And then I also just, I also just think of like the, the, the tendency in, in like a, a, a monoethnic experience, that's all powerful people would be to want like uh, this, this reality of colorblindness. And that's something that uh, like, we, we don't see race, like we're able to uh, you know, like which which is very different than I think what you're talking about with saying God can be found anywhere with anyone. Is that right? That's super different. Uh,
1: yes, because that that just in no way suggests that we should be colorblind. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I appreciate everything that you guys just said, and I think that kind of teases out my experiences more um, because. You know, in some ways, right, like, Kyle, I think you put it really well that the needs are different, right? And in some ways, it's it's a privilege in and of itself to be able to even try to fulfill those needs. Because, you know, for folks of my parents' generation, they weren't at that place, right? This was for them about survival, to assimilate, but to also feel like some sense of preservation of their identity and their culture, and that it wasn't completely stripped of them, right? So, and that's not... that fortunately right like everything that like was sacrificed on their backs i didn't necessarily have to do in my lifetime right and that that is what allows me to be truly second generation in a lot of ways so for me i i did have more of the the freedom and the autonomy to seek out what faith authentically meant for myself Um, and i think being the third culture kid where right like i don't have to accept everything at face value necessarily, right? Um, Because I don't have all the the restraints um, and and the high stakes that my parents did. But also, like, as I'm getting older, I can kind of exercise more agency and more like, you know, like, this is me, and I'm figuring out who I am and figuring all these things out and challenging, right? Um, So I think that led me to my very specific journey of faith. Um, but yes, like for them, growing up in their church would have been very different from growing up in a white dominant church.
2: Right? It makes it makes me think about what Barbie was talking about last week in in Chile, living under uh, kind of a a, um, a legacy of Pinochet and oppression. Uh, this idea of like. Uh, we don't really have a choice for something different. And so we're going to figure out how to make it work in the midst of uh, an experience. Like we're going to, we're going to believe that God is receiving us uh, in full liberation of our heart because our culture around us can't do it. So we we can't even begin to wrestle with those questions. And almost, so you see the evolution for you is like, that's a little bit more speaking to your parents experience. Like they're just trying to, to, make it through, hold on who they are, walk through this incredibly difficult first generation immigrant experience. And then you are kind of like the, the second generation of that where you still are holding on and seeing the value of who your parents are and your Korean heritage. But now you have a little bit more space stepping into this place to be asking different questions uh, and wrestling with different things and like asserting your own questions and thoughts in a context that has more space for that. Um, and even internally having more space for that.
0: You know, Linda, I was going to ask uh, a follow up around um, this idea of your your identity being found um, in in the overlap of these two things, and then and then you're kind of also just like pushing for something that's beyond. It's a third culture. It's neither the first nor the second. Um, I feel like there's a really similar um, there's a really similar pattern in a lot of what we talk about when we talk about Jesus being. Uh, both fully divine and fully human. There's, you know, like the, the, we, we talk about how we we have this incredibly like uh, more resourced God than us, more creative God than us, more in control God than us, more powerful God than us. And yet this God came and was among the powerless in the world. And that's how we know about. And there's like a real, like, once again, it's like kind of that overlap of two things, neither the first nor the second, but something that uh, that, that that came out of the overlap of those two things. And I'm just wondering, like, is like you, you must be a master in translating culture all the time because you had to do that as a kid so much. And, and, and just, you know, like, do, do you feel like that helps you in terms of your relationship with God in any way? Or does it feel not quite connected? Or I don't know, what, what, what do you think about that?
1: Um, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Even thinking of like Jesus as like a culture kid. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think it resonates with me in that Jesus very much was oppressed and really championed for those who were also oppressed. So that very much resonates with me. Um, and then this feeling of not ever fitting in <laughs> quite so much. And I think that that's, um, I mean, I think every, like that probably resonates with a lot of people because that's so universal. But I think there is something very particularly unique about second ge- generation kids in that there is like quite a tension there to figure out and negotiate like what does it mean to be Korean American? What does it mean to be blank American, right? Especially if your home and the ways in which you are brought up um are even like that much more opposed to Western or American values. So you have to really figure out what that looks like for yourself, but you might also want to please your parents and you might also want to perform a certain way in school and at church and with so and so friends. So it's like kind of figuring out all these different selves of identity and then figuring out like how to negotiate them. What feels like truly your most authentic self? That's, that's a really good question. That's a question for the ages, you know, and um, I'd like to say that the older I get, I'm getting like a better sense of it. Um, But you know, but that's like, that's like the journey we all go on. So
2: yeah, I have a, another question for you, Linda. You were talking a little bit about, and this is that part of the legacy of the Korean church and the Korean American church is that the, the experience was white missionaries bringing kind of more traditional, like evangelical Protestant theology to them. And so you have the combination of a, of a different culture, but still a lot of the faith foundations uh, being built on white male Theologians and white missionaries in that experience. I'm curious for you when you think about kind of the the lenses that your Korean culture gives you. Uh, I'm, is there anything you know that you can kind of uh, when you when you take it out of the faith context and it's it's more it's not so much the like the way that the church informs you because of those influences, but it's the way that that Korean culture. I'm curious. Do you feel like that? Uh, draws greater awareness to you for things that maybe uh, those of us who don't have that kind of cultural heritage to to go back on maybe wouldn't see? Uh, Draws greater awareness to
1: what? My identity
2: or? I would say who God is or just parts about the world around us that maybe uh, you just, you feel like maybe you have like a different in or a perspective on? Sure. Um...
1: It's really hard to isolate one thing, right? Like outside of anything else, because it's truly like an intersection of things. Um, But when I think about it, yes, I very much believe that, um, particularly through my parents and seeing immigrants, um, which is such a specific kind of experience and and journey, journey and present so many challenges, that, you know, things that they had to fight for. And establish for themselves, um, really, yes, like I really feel like that in some ways is Christ like. Um, when you enter a place where you have no power, no visibility, no voice, um, and you are very much treated less than, you know, um, that is a very specific thing that, you know, truly my parents have tried, have had to figure out every single day of their lives since they've been here and, and they have no regrets, right? Like, I think my, I think, you know, my, my dad would really resonate with like, successful immigrant story, right? Like pulling yourself up by your bootstrap for better or worse, which is also a very complicated thing in of itself. Um, but, you know, and, I, and I, I do think it really opened up and provided so many opportunities for them, but it did come at great cost and great sacrifice. And so um, to grow up in an environment like that and to think about those things, which would be mostly invisible, I think, if we're white and if we were, right, born and raised here, all of us. Um, it, it opens up this idea of these feelings of, like, what it means to persevere, what it means to have compassion, to experience compassion, and to show it to others. And the feeling of that is different, the, right? Because, like, when things are much, like, when the stakes are much higher, and when survival is an issue, like those things become much more important, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: that is really good. And just to like jump off of something you said earlier, um, like the like the idea of like just just kicking it with Jesus as a as a as a fellow third culture kid, I, I realized like the the um, the title we'd used for today's talk it can it sort of has a double meaning. Like we were saying, seeing God as a second generation immigrant, like as though from the perspective of a second generation immigrant, but we might read it like seeing God, like God is a second generation immigrant. And I kind of like that. It's like, the, the, I think that there is a lot that we can get um, from seeing God as one who is just like a second generation immigrant. All right, well, uh, let's move to our second point that we have today. And uh, Linda, we want to hear more about how, when, let's see, pull it up here for
1: us. Uh, Eventually, there we go. When immigration is a part of your
0: story, you see God has always had special preference and been a champion for the marginalized and oppressed and calls us to do the same. And this ties with something you were mentioning before. So tell us more, Linda.
1: So yes, um, uh, keep taking into account everything that we've talked about so far. Uh, And there's so much more that could be said that I just simply don't have time for today. Um, I believe that to be Christian, one believes in Christ's commandment of loving. I wish, I truly wish this were as simple as just loving each other and being nice. Um, But living in this country with our assorted history and complexity means that we are called to do much more than that. It means that colorblindness, which is the very thing that was brought up before, denying our own bigotry, ignoring those of others, and saying things, especially in a church setting, like love the sinner, hate the sin, do not spread love or inclusion, um, but rather they maintain the status quo and mask and perpetuate all kinds of oppression. If you have read the Bible, most of it, some of it, wherever you are with that, um, you would know that many of Jesus' encounters with others were with those who were oppressed socially, culturally, politically, et cetera. It runs the gamut. And Christ was not just kind and passionate to them, compassionate. He challenged those in power and disrupted systems of oppression calling on people to recognize their own accountability in it, how they benefited from it, whether knowingly or not. It's, so for me, I really truly believe it is time to work towards social justice. That that is the very thing Christ did and would call us to do. I believe love is truly radical. And sometimes we need to act radically for others to be loved. So, So that is what I meant by that second point.
2: I think it's a, it's the the perspective coming as a third generation or second generation immigrant. I think um, it's it's a unique lens to understand the broken um, paradigm of equality and and recognize the call for equity, like equality being really. Uh, in order for, like we all just need the same. Like the goal in life is for the same. This is the colorblindness. Like we're we're just gonna ignore it and what we're gonna make sure is what we have, the resources, the things, the opportunities, are this like equal. But the truth is it's not equal because of the the role of power and the role of um, what the status quo does in terms of those who already have power. And I think if you take a step back, it's pretty clear that if you give, you know, somebody who's like two feet tall, Uh, like, you tell them to get an apple on a tree that's 10 feet tall, and then there's a nine-foot tall person, and then you say, look, equality, both of you just reach up and grab the apple, that there's something that needs to be different. I think there's something about the innate persistence and the sense of what what it means to be an immigrant is you've had to work really hard. Like, there's not, like, an easy, like, Oh, I just you know went through this with with easy. It's a sense of like you are working harder to get to that equal experience of life, and I think it, it presents a a really powerful lens of recognizing that God is working in that because His desire is not just to make sure that we all have you know equal uh, like chance at things, but it's actually to make sure that all humanity is able to flourish. All humanity is able to have. A, access to to the life that he longs for us to have which requires that he is uh fighting for those who are marginalized and oppressed in a deeper way and that's i think uh, you have a lived experience around that um because you just saw how much harder your parents had to work in order to to have what they have there's almost a sense of the narrative of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps is almost speaking to the reality that it required more for them to get where they were today. And I think that gives us a kind of a perspective of kind of where God is living in all of that.
0: Yeah, it, it strikes me that um, if you are not coming from um, an experience of being an outsider or being um, an excluded person or being an oppressed person or a marginalized person in some way, um, there, there's, there's plenty of hope for you to come to like this perspective that you're, that you're pitching to us. Like, you know, there, I, I hope that that's the story for me. Cause I'm not somebody who's experienced much oppression in my life. Um, but uh, when, when that is a part of your story, you like know this instinctively, right? Like there's, nobody had to convince you that like God is about this, right? Like that, that just like
1: comes naturally to you, Linda. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And and I also, like, experienced a lot of racism growing up, and I still do. So um, it's not quite the story of my parents, but um, I think in some ways it's almost a more tenuous understanding of it um, because most of my years uh, was here. Um, I was actually born in Korea. This is like another layer of my story that I can talk about another time. Um, but I was born in Korea and I came here when I was about four and I'm a Korean adoptee, but my parents are actually Korean and I oddly look a lot like my father. So you'd never know this, um, but that's for another time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely experienced a lot of racism in my young and adult years. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to have to kind of figure that out. And it's, it's very difficult and um, it can be very frustrating. Um, And I've, I've been angry about it so many times too. Um, And I, I I still haven't figured out the right response because there isn't any, because it can happen anywhere at any time in so many different ways. So um, yes, And um, so having said that, I I really do believe like, you know, when you go back to the Bible and you look at, you know, Christ's life when he was here, you know, he would have been the first person to say stuff stuff is not fair. That is not true at all (laughs) because he went out of his way. He went out of his way to approach people and to lift up people who were oppressed because he knew it. He knew every part of that. And he knew that by design, that is what we're meant to do. To lift those people up, um, and and so that they have a chance, right, and to create that kind of equity in which um, they could thrive as the next person, which is what God intends for all of us to do. So, you know, muted.
2: Just thinking about the narrative of the Bible, I'm thinking about how um, the 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 role that was played of uh, a oppressed people group in the, the the Jewish people in the time where Jesus came into incarnation and came to us is like uh, the, the parallel of somebody who's experienced like themselves uh, being part of a people group that is not seen and heard and cared for. There's a, such a sense of deep kind of connection. And when we're learning from voices that have experienced that in a felt way, I think we do see a far more justice-oriented version of Jesus. We see a far more compassionate-oriented version of Jesus. We see a Jesus that's far more concerned about um, social and societal breakdowns. And not that he doesn't care about kind of personal morality, but often it's the sense of where your personal morality then will corrupt and break down a society to become more and more unjust. But then you take our current experience of Christianity in the US, who for, I don't know, centuries, millennia have been informed by white American European men. And all of a sudden where the, the emphasis goes, where the, in the sense of like what, what we're paying attention to, it slowly fades away. And I wanna be generous and say, it's not out of like a lack of heart or desire to follow Jesus. It's, it's about the narratives that we're listening to. And when our narratives are drifting further away from a sense of uh, people that are, are fighting to find a sense of justice in their life, and it's more listening and hearing the voices of people who have generally benefited from the status quo, then then all of a sudden our attention shifts away from the idea of social justice, uh, the idea that sin is not just an individual thing, it is very much a corporate thing. And a lot of the things Jesus was addressing in terms of sin in his life was not just about you being a better person, it's about writing the brokenness of our society. But when you're listening to the white male voices throughout history, all of a sudden, we don't wanna, the social justice part of it becomes much less like we i'm not sure we really want to get into that because actually the justice of the society is working well for me and we drift more and more and more towards just looking at jesus as addressing a sense of of individualized personal morality which i think is you know, I think that's one thing that's really helpful when we listen to these things. Of like, we need to understand and draw our attention back to the voices that Jesus was speaking from, of a person who experienced that kind of oppression, and his own people were crying out for justice.
0: Yeah, Kyle, I, I, I was picking up on the same sort of thing um, from what Linda's saying. The uh, this point that um, that we're kind of teasing out is. A key distinction between um, what we might call so there's there's sort of this is dumbing it down or or being like reducing it down too much, but one way we might categorize like all of the theologies that people have ever come up with about like how to understand God or Jesus is, is that there's two. Um, one is a sin-based theology, which is kind of like what uh what kyle was describing which is like it's very like your personal morality is what's at stake and you and that 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 is what we've mostly gotten in america um over the last you know i mean since america was in existence 200 years but certainly in the west so like western europe long before that um but uh the other category of theologies is liberation theologies and liberation theologies are uh, almost entirely associated with minority people groups or people without power, people who've been colonized uh, that is, the, the theologies that develop in from those places are as, as you're saying Kyle, exactly what you're saying. They're focused on, uh, on uh, the, the the stories that that rise to the surface in terms of like when we read the scriptures and when we talk about Jesus, they they would they would lean uh, you know less toward like be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect and more toward phrases like humble the exalted, exalt the humbled. When it comes to the story of Jesus, they would lean less away. They would lean um, more toward the story of the Exodus rather than toward a. Um, a moralizing of like the story of the Garden of Eden where, you know, like, because you sinned, therefore you have to leave the Garden of Eden. Um, the, and so it's like, what rises to the surface? What is the, what, what is the, what are, what are the central scriptures or what are the central stories or what are the central ideas that you build your faith around? And, uh, and I mean, this is a large part of what we will hope that this uh, series can do for us, which is to say, what are we putting at the center? You know what is the thing that everything else revolves around? Uh, that's a, I think that's a really important question, um, and and I, I love the way that the experience of somebody whose experience was much more like the experience of Jesus, I think can can it can help us understand like what should be at the center? Because if if something's at the center that shouldn't be, I think we're building a different faith. Um, I couldn't
1: agree more with that, and um, you know as i think we'd all agree that stories are really important uh and as someone who believes in equity work they are so truly important right like the things that we are taught in school the stories that we are told what what are these dominant narratives we are told because that's what people tend to believe right whether consciously or not and i think it's a really important question to raise like what what do we believe what are the things that we are saying to be heard by others, right? Um, in our church, in our communities, with our friends, with people who don't know us, particularly. Um, and I think Christianity, like, has definitely its own sorted history, right? Um, and I think you know, like, the things that you brought up when you have like male white dominant voices, um, historically by and large, who have also weaponized. Christianity against a lot of people Um, and that's why I actually brought up the phrase love the sinner hate the sin I really have a problem with that phrase and and I and I think at some point we've all heard it we might have said it I understand it because it's so embedded in dominant culture Um, but I think that that has really perpetuated a lot of oppression um, because it right like has like individualized and distanced somehow yes um, like right. the faults right. it's like highly moralized things it's really a way of saying we like the status quo and you better be like us and we're going to do everything to protect ourselves and and look down at you but we're not really looking down at you even though we are so, so i think it's like this really dubious way yep
2: i'll say it also um, it, it ignores oh sorry go ahead finish with
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think, I think it's duplicitous in a lot of ways. And I think that um, it takes a while to unlearn stuff like that, recognize stuff like that. And you will do so if you go looking, and you will do so if you care about that equity piece.
2: It also, you know, I think perhaps the individualism of America finds such life here because when it becomes like love the sinner, hate the sin, it individualizes that experience rather than saying, you know, in terms of like the queer community, of like oh you know it's not about a people group it's it's an like it's that one person and i it's a, it's an individualized assessment and but it removes your responsibility for the corporate experience of an oppressed people group and so i think you know it's the in the the one side of individualism is the pointing of like, we miss corporate suffering altogether because we're so focused on the individual experience. And it also excuses, I think, often what happens in terms of corporate oppression. It's also, I think, a big reason why we've missed the issues of systemic racism because you know, you think about the war on crime, you think about a lot of these things which have pretty malicious, racist intents underneath. But on the surface, there's a sense of like, well, that person is doing wrong, I'm not going to pay attention to what that means in terms of mass uh, incarceration, because we're so focused on the individual transgression, the individual sin that we miss, the corporate sin of jailing millions of black and brown people in a in an unequal way and i think that this is part of the the experience that americans need to constantly be bringing ourselves back into and learning from people that come from other cultures because we just see everything through the lens of individualism and i think mm-hmm. it really misses that we have a god who champions the marginalized and oppressed mm-hmm. and it's not just a god who cares about my moral purity internally because the, he, he's about much more than that and yeah. I, I just want
1: to quickly oh I just want to quickly add that how high the stakes are because we're talking about this and I'm so appreciative of this time but i don't want to do that i want to remind folks that like the stakes are high in that historically a lot of people have like you said right like followed some prison pipeline ended up in jail when they absolutely should not have right because of the color of their skin um but also like lives have been lost people have been brutalized right in the queer community uh people of color it's happened and it continues to happen every single day um so this this corporate right like Uh, sin as you call it or this distancing or this displacement or this right like we are greater than leads to silence and death in a lot of in a lot of cases so I just really want us to be mindful of that
0: and it's so important that uh, we shift the narrative around um, where does Jesus, where does uh, the God of the Christian tradition fit in this, uh, you know, shit show of, of a situation? Um, it's really important that we shift the narrative and, and, and make it clear where this God uh, lives in all of this. Uh, so um, I just want to, before we, since we're, uh, we're past the 11 o'clock uh, hour here, I want to invite in uh, Abby. Abby, is there anything going on in the chat that uh, you'd want to bring to our, our uh, just to finish up our discussion here?
3: Yeah, so there's um, been this nice discussion going um, based on Sort of this, when you're g- coming from the sin based um, point of view, like there's really that distancing and excusing um, in a way to maintain a really um, problematic and violent status quo. Um, and so, sorry, I'm just like looking through a little bit too, but thinking about um, how Christianity has really um, been weaponized um, and weaponized, and I think in in a way also um given people permission to paint themselves as oppressed and when i say that i mean like wealthy uh, white churches um and so that sort of gives that surface level permission to um to not to not look beyond the um the surface level um individualization of um of the sin rather than the whole looking at um you know where Who is really in the narrative and where are we placing ourselves within that narrative?
2: I think that the idea that Christians are under attack, you know, as Jen brought up is is a deeply uh, Problematic thing and it's because so it's like a conversation around bias. We can all have bias but it's when that bias is backed by power is when it actually becomes persecution and oppression. So it is true. There probably are a lot of people, I would say for good reason, that really have issues with American evangelicalism and that are maybe doing, like there's a sense of like, maybe they are experiencing, but here's, here's, here's the deal though, is when you have power, what you're experiencing is loss of power. And when that becomes problematic is not because you're right, maybe, I don't know, we have less Christmas on our coffee cups. The challenge here, though, is this becomes problematic, and it becomes to me an issue of a moral issue, when that is backed by power. And in our country, Christians still hold more power politically, in terms of the people in elected office, let alone culturally and socially. And so that's why it's, it's, To me, the conversation of Christians feeling under attack by the non-Christian world is equally parallel to white people trying to defend themselves as not being racist. We are removing the overall structure of power here, and rather than analyzing the effects of the system, we are defending ourselves individually, and then it becomes about a threat of what I lose rather than an assessment of a more just society.
1: Yeah, I have said that I think that this country would look radically different if we spent less time trying to defend ourselves and and prove that we are not racist and try to spend more time understanding racism and listening to the stories of others. This place would look very different.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, those are really, really uh, helpful phrases, Uh, Kyle, just talking about how uh, bias is there, and, th- and that is what um, that is what the the sort of white American Christian experience is picking up on, but that it 's very different when bias has power behind it um, or, or when, when if, if you 're experiencing a bias leveled at you, but you have power it 's very different it 's not prejudice it 's not being oppressed it 's not being under attack. Uh, and th- that, is, that is just really, really helpful to kind of to, just to understand like what's happening and, and why that thing uh, that, that so many in the chat were recognizing, why does that happen? Uh, how can we get, how can we end up in a situation where both narratives or both sides are telling the same narrative about themselves when, when you're trying to look from as removed a perspective as possible? It just feels like this is crazy. Of, of course, there's more power over here than over here. Power is what, is what helps us to understand Uh, Well, it's hard to have to say that we're running low on time and that we have to, but it it just feels like, feels like the wheels were just getting going and we're really going somewhere. But I think that there's a lot more to discuss here. And, and certainly as, uh, as we continue to, to talk about this, this big value of our church, shifting the narrative uh, a, a, a phrasing that we've used that's that's I don't think often used in, um, in 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 conversations around privilege, but we've tried to kind of bring to the forays religious privilege. Uh, Their the privilege is being discussed a great deal in our culture right now, which is great, and that's that's helping us to understand implicit bias when it comes to race and when it comes to ethnicity. But we think that our, a, a huge burden on us as a as a church in Chicago uh, would be to to uh, you know, raise our hands and say, "Hey, re- there is religious privilege when it, nobody is going to 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 look down on you for celebrating Christmas." And we think that that you know that's a really important thing to recognize uh, when when we're trying to enter into the public sphere and say we want to be helpful here and we want to be helpful in the name of Jesus. It's really important for us to own hey, you know, Christianity, that's a, that's a privileged thing, even as we are trying to shift so mightily from what Christianity is often presented to be about when we're not focused on Jesus. And so uh, just wonderful. Uh, Linda, we're so grateful for, uh, for you sharing your story and helping us into uh, what we're able to uncover today. I think again, there's a lot more to go here. So uh, we look forward to picking up the conversation in our midweek podcast this week. Uh, but to, to kind of bring us down for a landing here today. Linda, would you pray for us uh, as we uh, move
1: to the end of our service? Yes, happy to do so. Thank you, Linda. Dear Lord, thank you so much for just allowing us to gather and just spend some collective time praising you and reflecting on the power that only you hold over our our lives. And there's so much need and heartbrokenness, as you know, you are well aware of. Um, But I know that you are always with us and you walk with each and every one of us. You know what oppresses us, Um, be it uh, something that is systemic in society, be it us, figuring out who we are and how to respond to situations like these. And I just pray that you give us courage and grace and allow us to, to figure that out for ourselves and to sustain us in that work. And that may be just exhaustion at times. That may be bravery. That may be apathy, whatever those feelings are, please help us just, just be with us, continue with us. Um, this is a daily walk. This is the walk of a lifetime. And I just pray that, um, we also recognize that while there's so much inequities in this world, that you truly hold the power and that, you know, we are guided by you. So I just, I pray that you allow us to see all the opportunities in which you invite us to, to be brave and courageous, but also to gather around you and to rest and to seek restoration because you also provide that. And I know that what your intention is, is for everyone to feel free and to have agency and to be the very best selves that you would want us to be. And um, just thank you so much for that. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.